Hello there, and welcome to episode three of Baseball Ramble. Today is Tuesday, January 21st, and on this episode, we will be getting into the new buzzer allegations about Jose Altuve and the Astros, as well as my personal Hall of Fame ballot and some possibly controversial statements along the way. And I'm going to be talking about, well, I'm not talking, I'm going to be interviewing popular Instagram page Bartolo's Memes. But before that, I'm going to dive into what I think is just idiotic and stupid. Those two words describe Jessica Mendoza. And just a disclaimer to start this episode off, I'm not saying these things about her because I'm a sexist. If you even think that, I don't know what's wrong with you. But if any, if anyone went on every ESPN show one day and just started saying these idiotic statements, then I would call anyone out for doing it. I don't care who you are. But what she basically said is she was asked whether or if she, if she did not like what Mike Fires did by going public about the Astros cheating. And she said she didn't like it because this isn't how it should have been discovered and that you're kind of just breaking the bond between your teammates, I guess. What in the world is that? She's literally saying she would rather have had nothing happened. She would have rather had it, had discovered it later the right the right to her way according to her rather than mike fires coming out and doing the right thing and saying the astros were cheaters i was on that team i know this and that's what happened she said she didn't like it i mean i'm gonna just go look at her points and tell you why this is just stupid first of all she would have rather had nothing happened, basically. So you're saying, even if it was necessary, if MLB had not found this naturally until, let's say, the 2021 offseason, so two years from now, are you saying you would have rather have the Astros cheated for another two seasons than rather we discover now and get it over with? That's just stupid. Also, she says... One of her points to why she didn't like it was because he personally benefited from it. Are you an idiot? He's a pitcher. Yes, the, the team he was on was benefited from it, but he didn't benefit from it. He wasn't even on the playoff roster that won the World Series. That's just idiotic. He was a pitcher. Number three, if, let's say... I'm just going to give her the benefit out of the doubt because she didn't say this once, but let's just say she would have rather Mike Fires gone straight to the MLB for a private investigation rather than him going public by telling the Athletic what happened. We would not have, A, found out near as much about what how this happened, and B, I don't think the... I, I think people's reputations wouldn't be as... I don't want to use the word destroyed, but I don't think people would look on this as harshly as they should if it was just kind of if all we knew was the astros cheated 
would we really trust that it was that bad? I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. And also, this isn't even a point against her argument, but the fact Rob Manfred made it very clear that t- employees working for MLB teams are not allowed to talk about this. And then this woman who goes, who goes to ESPN, who is literally working for the New York Mets front office, comes out and says all these things, she should lose her job. I mean, she's already losing her Sunday night baseball job, apparently, for other reasons. But she should lose her job. She's no better than Mike Fires. According to her, Mike Fires was bad for coming out public. She was literally told not to talk about this in the public, and she's doing it. Just, just idiotic. But anyway, let's settle down a bit. And now I'm going to show you guys my interview with Instagram page owner Bartolo's memes so now I will be interviewing slash discussing talking baseball with popular Instagram page Bartolo's memes hey guys so we're gonna dive right in what we're gonna talk about so what like obviously your page is kind of like about Bartolo Colon what what moment inspired you I'm gonna make this page well uh, to be honest, uh, so it all started back in early 2018. I was uh, just talking to my friend, and I, I saw a post, and I, w- I was just like, you know, I, sh- I should probably start like getting into the meme industry. And I made some memes, and I, I got some resources, and I was telling my friend, like, you know, I have to make a memes account. So that's basically what I did. And what caused you to basically be obsessed with Bartolo Colon? Well, the thing about it is, is like, I was actually trying to think of a name. And I, I got the name Bartolo's Memes because, like, you know, a lot of people really like Bartolo, and I like him too. So that's really the name I decided to come up with. Like, a, like a lot of people think I'm, like, a huge, huge Bartolo fan. Like, I, I, I do like him, but, like, I'm not, like, as crazy as you think I would be but like I, I really like him and you know I respect a guy that's even though he's still 46 years old he's still trying to go out there and get signed by a team and I, I respect that and I think uh, he should be viewed as uh, very uh, what's the word I can think of it can you help me just like yeah he's not the greatest of all time like you sometimes say but he's he is probably a borderline hall of famer yeah, yeah, he is. So, like, a lot of people ask me, like, hey, why don't you post a lot of Bartolo anymore because, like, your account is called Bartolo's Memes. Well, my account is called Bartolo's Memes, but it was always meant to be an MLB meme account. And, you know, I try to post stuff about almost every team. I could be a little biased sometimes because I am a, I am a race fan. But this, the, the account was never supposed to be all Bartolo's, which would be all MLB, uh, and I, I, I try to tell people that a good amount of times, but that's how it is. Yeah, and you're approaching almost 30,000 followers, which is yeah. pretty impressive. Yeah. So now we're going to get into the thing that has basically just snatched up the baseball world, and it's starting to get baseball back into national TV talks, but the Astros cheating scandal. So do you think the punishment that 
Rob Manfred gave the Astros. Do you think it was enough or just right? Do you think it was just right or too little or too much? It's actually kind of hard to describe that because, like, a lot of people are saying, like, hey, they should strip the title. But, you know, I was kind of, like, believing that a bit. But at the same time, you just can't really change the past. Like, it's not really possible. Like, they still won in seven games. But the thing is, is that they did cheat, which is not a good thing. But uh, I think it's good that their GM and their manager lost their jobs. I don't think they should be uh, in charge of the team because they cheated. Uh, they also lost their draft, their first and second round draft pick for 2020-2021, which I think is very well. And uh, they were also fined five million, which is just five million. It's the maximum fine you can get. But you know, I was uh, thinking at one point, like you know, maybe they suspend some of their players for few games. Like so, I was thinking like so they they still have some players that are on their team that were there two years ago. You got Altuve, you got Bregman, Correa, Springer, Gurriel. I was saying, I was thinking uh, you suspend two of those players for the first 50 games and then another two for the next 50 games and then another two or actually that was five. You spend one for the last 50 games and then final 12 games, they're on the team. So basically, it's hard. player punishments are hard because... No one really would have talked if the players weren't granted immunity from a suspension while they were being interviewed by Rob Manfred. So how would you have said, how would you say now you have to suspend the players if you, when you didn't give them immunity, they probably would not have revealed what we needed to know about the cheating scandal to give out the proper punishments? Well, I, I think if players told the truth, I think they would still been suspended, but not they wouldn't have as big of a punishment, because it's, it's always good when someone who does the wrong thing steps up and be honest to tell what they do. So I think if you uh, tell, stand up, tell the truth, you're still going to get in trouble, but you're not going to have a big punishment, because you really put the big on, you know, it, you have to do it again. Okay, that's fair. So, if you were put in Rob Manfred's position, what one solution would you put to prevent, like implement, to prevent illegal sign stealing in the future. No, <laughs> this is actually funny because you know how like a lot of like areas have like security guards to make sure nothing's going on. Yeah. Yeah, I, w I was actually thinking like maybe like put someone like near the area where there would be like actual sign stealing, to make sure nobody's actually doing anything, or maybe just like take away computers from the dugout. I mean, I was at Petco Park a couple weeks ago, and it said no electronic devices in the dugout, and if you tell they follow this rule, then you will be punished. So I don't think uh, there should be any electronic devices in the dugout or in the, in the hallway from the dugout to the clubhouse, because that could lead to uh, things like this, and this can't happen in, in, in the league. Yeah, that actually has, there have been two kind of different arguments to that. One is just getting rid of all the technology you possibly can. And the other opposite argument has been implement as much technology as you can to stop this, like using digital signs for the pitchers and all that kind of stuff. Though, as I believe that as, as long as it's a visual sign. The more technology you have, the more you do. Yeah, and as long as it's a, as it's a visual sign, it, a team's going to figure out a way to steal it, in my opinion. 
Um, so you you mentioned earlier you're a Rays fan. So what what would you say are your expectations for the Rays in 2020? You know, so coming into last year, I did expect them to make the playoffs because we were coming off of the 19th season and some improvements. This year, I do expect us to get past the first round. You know, we've been ever. So we've been to the playoffs uh, five times since 2008. We've only made it past the first round once. So I think that's a goal that they need to find. Uh, now, obviously, they have made some moves. Some people say it made them better. Some people say it got them worse. You know, they did trade Tommy Pham. He was their, one of their more productive hitters last year. They traded him to San Diego. But the way I see it, you know, they've been trading a lot of their guys, like, it's been a thing that they have been, you know. In 2016, they won 68 games. And then the offseason, they traded Drew Smiley, who's one of their better pitchers, even though he was not great, but they wanted to pick their better pitchers. Uh, they traded Matt Moore. They traded Logan Forsythe, who's probably one of their best pitchers in 2015. Corey Dickerson, as well. No, no, we're, we're, we're not there yet. So, and after that, they improved to 80 games in 2017, and then... I actually thought we were going to have a really good young four next year in, in 2018 until, you know, we traded away Longoria, we traded away Steven Cooper Jr., we had Logan Morris who walked the crazy team, and we just ran them with DFA for Richardson, we also lost Alex Cobb. So we lost a lot of those guys, and we went up to 90 games in 2018. And then, we, and then in that offseason, we traded, you know, Malik Smith, DJ Crone, who we led the Rays in home runs that year, and also Jake Bowers, who was supposed to be the future first baseman like he's supposed to be really good i don't think you uh mentioned jaco de rizzi either yeah i did i forgot to mention it. yeah just a ton of guys yeah so many guys and we, and we improved to 96 games 2019 and here we are now trading tommy fam and getting hunter renfro uh we also acquired jose martinez and signed uh yoshi tomo Tsutsugo. so you never know what the rays are going to do i mean they'll make trades that seem odd at first but they turn out to win them. Like, look at the Chris Archer trade. They got Meadows, Blasno, and Boz in that trade. Like, I, I knew that was a win. Yeah. They make all these crazy trades, but they end up winning most of them. So, we'll just have to see, and only time will tell. Maybe they won 100 trades. Who knows? So, I, I assume when you say they would make the playoffs, though, they you would almost have to assume that it would come as a wild card team with how scary the Yankees yeah, are looking. I, I, I thought they were going to get to the second wild card spot. I think they were going to get in that game and play the Red Sox to either beat them or lose to them. Uh, you know, I, I, at the beginning, I probably thought we were going to lose to them, but as the season progressed, I was like, you know, we'll probably end up getting to the wild card. So, and there we were. We beat the A's. The Red Sox didn't make the playoffs, and we almost... Yeah, I'm sure it's not productive when not only are you tipping pitches, but the team across from you could possibly be stealing your st signs as well. But uh, go ahead. The, the, but the main thing is, though, is like 2019 was a lot of players improved, and I think America really got to see how good the team was. And I think America needs to know that. You know, this is a, a really good team. They have one of the smallest payrolls in the league. 
they have a lot of versatility all over the roster, and they, they just need to be paid attention to them. Like, just because they're the Rays, they're a small market team, they're not, they're not, they don't have a lot of fans. No, this is a really good team. They really need to be paid attention to it. So, that's the way I see it. And yeah, I want to go into the Rays offseason more. So usually I, when the Rays make these unorthodox moves, I kind of think in the back of my head, I could actually see this working. I know it's unlikely, but the Rays usually end up making it working. But this offseason, they traded Tommy Pham for for that a package that included Hunter Renfro, who has really always been an inferior player. He's never had a season like Tommy Pham's had. And then they traded... Um, one of the top pitching prospects in baseball for a kind of one-way player in Jose Martinez and Randy Rosarena, who's a good but not really top prospect. So what do you think about those moves? Well, when it comes to the Braves, they're always, they're usually looking for guys. And they they, they traded Sam, who was one of their best hitters last year, but he only had one year of control left, and they had to pay him three million this year. And the Rays, you know, they're always looking to save money. So the they, I think they believe in Renfro. He has a very powerful bat. They just use him to bring up the batting average. He's a very good fielder as well. And also, they like him better because he has full reach control. He's cheaper. And that, that's just how the Rays always do their business. They're always looking for the best player at the Rays. So, and as for the Jose Martinez deal, I... I was kind of underwhelmed at the beginning. You know, Martinez is a guy that they're probably only going to have for one year. They usually have that one right-handed bat for one year. Last year was Avi Garcia, 2018 ACB clone, and they usually have that guy every single year. And then they just let walking through the agency. So, yeah, I actually didn't think about that. Though Martinez actually was extended, so he's gonna only be paying be paying like one million dollars a year or so. So that would be a price the Rays would keep around if they saw fit. But uh, I was I was I was I was really surprised when he took a Liverpool because uh, when he drafted him in the first round, a lot of people projected him to be a very good starting pitcher, and the Rays the Rays value starting pitching so much. They Super obsessed with developing young starting pitching. That's why they have one of the best uh, rotations in the league. Because, you know, you got Blake Snell, you got Tyler Glass now. They signed the veteran Charlie Morton to help their young guys be deep, deep, great. You know, Johnny Serena, Ryan Arbor, Brendan McKay. Like, they have so many young arms, and they're just all so good. You know, a lot of people really underrated the Because, you know, I have heard of this guy. Who is he? Yeah, and I mean, I'm a Cardinals fan, so on the other side of that deal, I mean, that was a really weird kind of transition anyway, because the report came out that Matt Libertor had been traded, and the, the package didn't come out, and then it took like hours, and people were saying it's a blockbuster. We were just waiting for hours like, oh my god, somebody announced who we're getting. Like, yeah, I kept mentioning to my dad, like... And, and, like, and like, somebody was making a joke that, like, uh, Yadier Molina was part of the package. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely a weird turn of events. But now we're going to talk about something that, like, seems really cool. 
apparently you got to meet and interview Pete Alonzo in person. So just kind of, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to let you describe that experience because that sounds like a, probably a pretty long story. So back in 2017, this story goes back. So 2017, I was uh, at the opening day ceremony for my little league. And Pete Alonzo was there. He was giving a speech about something I can't really remember what it is. He was wearing his University of Florida he had super long hair, and it was a good speech. Uh, a lot of people were clapping. And so, after the opening day ceremony, I went to brunch at First Watch, and Peter Alonzo was actually there. So I was like, uh, hey, I saw you at uh, opening day. And he's like, yeah, uh, I can't remember what he said, but I was wondering if he was going to have a, have a picture of him at First Watch. And so two years, two years later, we're here now. Uh, so I, I was trying to think of a assignment that to do for my new business. I was going to do this business. My mom was telling me, like, maybe you should uh, get Peter Alonzo to come down and talk to the interview. And I was like, that's, that's a good idea. So I'm actually the team manager for my business. What I do is that I write down the play by play for every game. I uh, watch the players, make sure they're behaving and all. So. After practice, I asked my coach if he could possibly ask Pete Alonzo to come down to practice one day so I could interview him. And he said, yeah, that'd be great. I'd love for you to interview Wait, so just to interrupt here. So your coach, how does your coach know Pete Alonzo? Well, my coach actually coached Pete Alonzo. You see, Pete Alonzo oh. So, and, and, and he was playing in high school not that long ago. I think he was the class of 2013. So he was playing in high school only seven years ago. Wow, that's... Pretty cool. So over, over the break, I didn't really hear anything else. Like, you know, I'm kind of, I'm starting to get a little worried that maybe Peter Alonzo won't be coming. But the first day back, I was at practice and he was like, hey, Ari, Peter Alonzo is going to be here. So when you have to ready to interview, you just tell him. I was like, all right. So he comes out, he, he arrives in his silver Toyota Highlander. And I was like, wow, <laughs> that's pretty nice. So it was pretty cool. He, uh, he comes out and starts talking to the coach, and I shook hands with him, and I told him about when I met him at first watch two years ago, and he actually remembered, so I was, I was pretty surprised. So during practice, he uh, gave advice to the hitters on our team, and they asked questions like, what's your two-strike approach? And it's, apparently his two-strike approach is uh, choking up on the bat moving a little in the batter's box and somebody asked him who was the least favorite pitcher was the base and he said Max Scherzer. I, I hate <laughs> that guy. So I got a good laugh at that. So after uh, we went into my coach's office and the interview happened for about 10 minutes I'm going to be posting it on my Instagram account March 6th. You know I asked him about like what, like what it was like to play in the majors and be in the spotlight. Got the answers on that. And after that, I actually got him to sign a jersey that I found at a Liz who was just sitting there, and it was 50% off, so I was like, I gotta get this jersey. And he actually signed it for me, so... Well, very nice to people, and, that, and that's what baseball needs. We need players who are only good, but are also comfortable. Like, I'm all with the, the let the kids play slogan, but they also need to be humble and be a role model kids who want to be like and that he's just a perfect example of what a baseball player should be. Yeah, and even like 
you obviously met him in person, but even just on the field and watching him win that home run derby, he just seems like he's a really nice and fun guy to be around. So one more question. I'm going to put you on the spot. Make one bold prediction for 2020, and not just one some crazy out-of-this-world one. Make a bold prediction that you believe could actually happen in 2020. All right, so here's my bold prediction. I think the ALDS this year, between the two division winners, not the one seed and the wild card, would be the Twins versus the Athletics. Yeah, that I mean, do you so you do you even think the Astros would be a wild card team, or do you think this thing is gonna hit them so hard where they just fall out of the playoff picture completely? So you think like maybe an Astros Rays wild card game that would be kind of cool. Well, that seems like a good message to uh, end off on there. So thank you, Bartolo's Memes, for joining Baseball Ramble. So I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Bartolo's Memes, but now we're back to the news of the day. And first off, before I get back, fired back up about the cheating, I want to talk about my Hall of Fame ballot. So here's my Hall of Fame ballot. I'll cut, here are the guys. I mean, some guys I have stuff to say. Some guys I don't. Uh, I have Derek Jeter. And yes, I'm voting for him because he should make it. He's obviously a Hall of Famer. But the fact is, if he's unanimous, it's just going to be an embarrassment because so many much, 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 much better players have not been voted unanimously. It took the greatest, by far the greatest relief pitcher of all time to come in to get a unanimous voting. If Derek Jeter, who's like a, who's like an average short, Hall of Fame shortstop, comes in and gets unanimous just because he was on the Yankees, that would be a tragedy. Also, another player I have, I have Andrew Jones. And a lot of, I've seen a lot of people not putting him on their ballots, but he was just as good a hitter as Jeter, and he actually was a great defender. He had a career UZR well over 100, and let's just compare Derek Jeter and Andrew Jones' offensive stats. So Derek, Jeter hit 310, Jones hit 254, Jeter had a 377 on base, Jones had a 337. Jeter had a 440 slugging, and Jones had a 486 slugging. So those add up, the OPS add up, adding up, to Derek Jeter having an 817 OPS and Andrew Jones having an 823 OPS. 
Derek Jeter beat him out in WRC plus, 119 to 111. Derek Jeter beat him out in weighted on base average, 360 to 352. Andrew Jones hit almost 200 more home runs than him. Derek Jeter hit almost 20 more RBIs than him. And Andrew Jones's career DRS was over 200 more than Jeter's, and Andrew Jones's career UZR was almost over 200 more than Jeter's. And despite Jeter having 400 or 4,000 more plate appearances, Andrew Jones was Jared Jeter barely beats Andrew Jones in the war, 73 to 67. So Andrew Jones should be on the ballot in my opinion. I also have Andy Pettit, Gary Sheffield. I have three of the, you know, steroids guys that everyone hates on. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and Manny Ramirez. Hey, I mean, you know, they. I think all those guys would have been Hall of Famers anyway. And just put an asterisk next, next to their name in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and now I, wanna, I'm, I have two guys who I want to talk about the most. La- First off, Larry Walker must make it in this year. He's on the last year on the ballot. And I think my official predictions, I also forgot to write down Kurt Schilling. He's another guy I have. But um, Larry Walker, last year on the ballot, and he should obviously be a Hall of Famer. So people use Colorado against him. We have weighted runs created plus, WRC plus. It takes into account um, ballpark. Larry Walker's career WRC plus was 40, 140. Like, counting Colorado, discounting him from what he actually did, he was still 40% above league average for his career. You also have a 965 career OPS, 383 home runs, 1,311 RBIs, 2,160 hits, a 412 career weighted on base average, and a 68.7 war as a guy who didn't even play defense that much. And then this is the biggest tragedy of the entire ballot. As a Cardinals fan, this murders me inside. Why does Scott Rowland get no recognition? Here's a controversial statement. Scott Rowland's better than Derek Jeter. And I'm going to... Uh, let's let's compare their career stats. Okay, first up, the offense. Jeter beats him out in batting average, 310 to 281. Jeter beats him out in on-base percentage, 377 to 364. Folks, get ready, because Scott Rowland dominates the rest of the categories. Scott Rowland beats Jeter handily. In OPS, 854 to 817. Scott Rowland defeats Eric Derek Jeter in WRC Plus, 122 to 119. Rowland beats Jeter in weighted on base average, 368 to 360. Rowland hit more home runs, 316 to 260. Jeter only had about 25 more RBIs in his career. And this is the big this is the big one. Scott Rowan had a career 114 DRS. He was a historic defender at third base. And Derek Jeter had a negative 152 DRS. Scott Rowan beat Jeter in DRS by 256. Also UZR. Scott Rowan had a 107.1 career UZR, while Jeter had a negative 66.1 UZR. Not even close 
Roland beats him by 173. And despite Jeter having 4,000 more plate appearances, Roland was only four war below him for his career. So Roland was an 850 OPS career hitter, 20% above league average, and had a historic defense. I don't know why this guy isn't like a lock to make the Hall of Fame, because if he was on those New York Yankees teams, this guy would probably be unanimous. Like, my gosh. Just awful. And another awful thing about these Hall of Fame voters, why do they have such a love for Omar Vizquel? He's, ter he's not terrible, but he cannot hit. Okay, yeah, his defense is... Actually, it's not even that great as people say. He had a 48 career DRS and a 50.8 career UZR. That's good, not great. Like, Matt Chapman's going to put up those numbers in two years. <laughs> like, what's your point? But his his offensive numbers is just what makes me wonder why people vote for him. He had a 272 career batting average, a 336 career on base, and a 352 career slugging for a 688 career OPS. An 83 career WRC plus, so he was 17% below league average for his career. He had a 310 weighted on base average, 80 home runs, 951 RBIs, 2,877 hits, and 42.5 war, which is not even close to the normal war threshold for a Hall of Famer. Generally, a Hall of Famer has at least like 60 to 65 war. He's at 42, and he had 12,000 plate appearances, which is more than most people have ridiculous so now we're gonna get into the buzzer allegations and get more for this is really just a negative podcast because this is idiotic basically for those wondering this was started this conspiracy theory the buzzer conspiracy theory was started basically by john boy media on twitter he's also a youtuber and then it was even furthered by Carlos Beltran's niece on Twitter. Yeah, we're going to get into that later. But first, I'm going to point out all the main evidence argue, arguments for the people who are in love with this conspiracy theory. So first of all, people are finding pictures of a player, of an Astros player with a wrinkle on their chest, on in their jersey, and saying, Oh, it's a buzzer! That's a wire! What are you talking about? I've seen multiple posts on Instagram mocking this with Cody Bellinger and Aaron Judge and Mike Trout and even Big Al with the same exact wrinkle on their jersey, but for some reason, that's not a buzzer. Like, that's so idiotic. The fact that a wrinkle in your jersey is proof that you cheated in 2019, which, by the way, is the whole point. They're saying they didn't just cheat in 2017 and 2018. The investigation didn't talk about 2019, but they clearly did. That's the whole point. Again, here's another one. So when Altuve hit the walk-off home run off of Aroldis Chapman in Game 6 of the ALCS, he didn't want his jersey torn off. And then he ran straight into the dugout. Okay, yeah, that's weird. I've never seen anyone do that. But are we going to say we can read Jose Altuve's mind? And just because he didn't want his jersey torn off, it's because he's cheating in the moment? That's just a... I think that's a huge stretch for me it's just ridiculous number three josh reddick went on a post-game interview after that game and he's wearing like his super saiyans outfit or whatever from that one anime show and because confetti falls when you generally win a pennant 
he had a piece of confetti on his shoulder. But apparently it was a buzzer. It was a buzzer. Like, oh my gosh, these people are turning jersey wrinkles and confetti into a cheating scandal. Holy cow. Okay, and now I want to talk about the guy who started this thing, John Boy Media. Are we going to mention the fact he's a biased Yankees fan? Of course he's going to fight. After there's proof that the Astros cheated in 2017 and 2018, of course he's going to try to make excuses for losing in the 2019 season. Like, why are we trusting this guy who, again, has furthered these points that aren't facts? It's speculation. We have no idea whether that... I mean, I think we do have an idea, but is that wrinkle really just a wrinkle or do you have 100% proof that that's a buzzer? Is that piece of confetti on Josh Reddick's chest really a, a, a buzzer or is it just a, a piece of confetti? Did Altuve really want his jersey not torn off for bad reasons or did he just not want his jersey, jersey turn off? Also, the guy who basically kind of made this thing go viral, had a uh, he claimed to be Carlos Beltran's niece on Twitter and it was later revealed that it was a burner for a Twitter troll. So the two leaders of this conspiracy are a Twitter troll and a Yankee fan who is using his media presence to further a conspiracy theory that has no factual basis. It's all speculation. It's just mind-numbing at this point. Now let's gonna let's talk about some um, transactions. So we have two minor ones, and then we have a kind of minor one, but also kind of not minor one. So first off, the Braves have brought back um, shortstop Adani Hechevarria uh, on a basically just a minor league deal, and he he's a defense first guy. He can't really hit that well. But it's a solid move. I mean, the Braves re-signed a ton of their free agents uh, this offseason. So that's just another guy they're bringing back. And the Cardinals also re-sign Matt Wieters to be their backup catcher behind Yadier Molina. Uh, I, as a Cardinals fan, I mean, I know I guess I didn't really give an opinion on the Hechevarria deal because I don't know how I would have one because it, it's a minor league deal. But I do have an opinion on the Wieters one because one of the Cardinals' top prospects in the organization is Andrew Kisner, and he could be the guy who gets to play 70 games a year behind Yadier Molina, which is enough time for him. I think 70 games is plenty of time for him to get consistent at-bats. But apparently, the Cardinals need Matt Wieters, who's a below-average hitter, a below-average he has a below average arm. He's a below average blocker. He's one of the worst framers in baseball. He's old, so he might get even worse. And it's not even a minor league deal. It's a $2 million guaranteed deal. I don't know what they're thinking. They have Andrew Kisner right there, but they're Carson Kellying Andrew Kisner. And by the time Yadi's ready to retire, they're not going to have a catcher, a major league worthy catcher, because everyone would have just been blocked by Yachty, who is probably just going to keep aging. Anyway, on to some rumors. So, well, this isn't really a rumor, but Indians manager Terry Francona came out and basically said Lindor's not on the trading block. So that is confirmation that Francisco Lindor will not be traded this offseason. So now it's down to Mookie Betts, Nolan Arenado, and Chris Bryant. So 
Hopefully we're not talking about Francisco Lindor anymore because we've already trade speculated too much this offseason since a, a major trade really hasn't happened yet this offseason. And now one of the four big possibilities isn't going to happen. We also have the Mets and Pirates reopening talks for a potential Starling Marte deal. Um, I think this would be fine. I think uh, if the Mets were to trade for Marte, they would need to move him back into left field because Marte is a bad defender and center. And he, despite being him a great hitter this year, as a center fielder, he was only a three-war player because his defense was so bad. So if he could go back to left field, be an above-average defender, and be 20% above league average offensively, he could be a solid four or five, like not, maybe not five, that's a little ambitious, but a, maybe a four-win player for that Mets team, and it'd be a really underrated signing. And Pittsburgh's, I think, I think they would get rid of him. I mean, we've seen them trade make awful trades in the past. If I were the Mets, I would try to rob them. And we also have an interesting little piece of news here. So last offseason, the MLB implemented the little uh, two-way player rule where basically if you're a player on the, on the roster, you have to be designated as a position player or a pitcher. And if you're a pitcher, you can't hit, basically, unless you're already in the lineup. And if you're a hitter, you're not allowed to pitch unless your team's up by six runs or if it's extra innings, blah, blah, blah. And if you want to be able to hit or pitch whenever you want, you have to be a two-way player. And in order to get that designation as a two-way player, you have to get at least 20 games as a position player with three plate appearances and 20 innings as a pitcher. And that next season, you'll be designated as a two-way player. So everyone was saying, for 2020, well, Otani in 2019, he's only hitting. He's not going to be able to be a two-way player in 2020. Well, it was, it's been announced that Otani's a special exception because... Um, he's basically a rehab. It's basically just called a rehab exception, I guess. Since he was rehabbing, he couldn't. He could not physically pitch, so he's still going to be able to be a two-way player this year and be able to earn that designation, which I'm sure he will under a manager like Joe Madden. And I mean, some people could get mad that Otani's getting a special exception, but personally, I think when there's a two-way player in the game that is that good at both sides, I think it's exciting. So I'm glad that Otani's going to be able to do both roles in 2020 and before we uh, head out today we have some managerial news the Astros interviewed Cubs third baseman or third base coach Will Venable though he has he then announced that he will not be leaving the Chicago Cubs organization and then they've also um, managed former manager or not managed interviewed former manager Dusty Baker and a guy I've talked about for the Mets job before. Not a big fan of him on ESPN. Anything to get him out of the TV, I guess. But Eduardo Perez. They've also um, interviewed Eduardo Perez. So, so far, the four guys kind of in the running for this Astros job, as long as they don't interview anyone else, is John Gibbons, Buck Showalter, Dusty Baker, and Eduardo Perez. Personally, I don't think Eduardo Perez has a shot for the Astros job. I think he's going to be the Mets manager. Uh, and I'm starting to kind of see i i it's obviously going to be dusty baker john gibbons or buck showalter and obviously because they're a veteran guy who can come in and get things straight set things straight with the uh cheaters but i honestly i said in the last episode that i don't think it'll be buck showalter but the more i think about it they might not care about analytics at this point they might i think they're valuing setting their 
organization right. And since Jim Crane's probably running this and Jeff Lunau isn't anymore, it's not going to be completely analytics-based like it would if Lunau was running it. Jim Crane, he's kind of older, and he might be like, I'm just going to bring in the oldest possible, most veteran, veteran type of manager who's going to get my guys back on track. We also had an interesting piece of news that said the Red Sox aren't in a hurry to hire their manager, and they might wait until spring training, which is interesting. I don't know why they would do that, but apparently they're really just not in a rush at all to hire their new manager. So ladies and gentlemen, that is it for episode three of Baseball Ramble. Once again, I just want to thank Bartolo's Memes for coming on uh, the podcast, and I will talk to you all on Friday on episode four. So thank you for listening.